Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we're joined by another Canadian today. It's a two-thirds Canadian podcast. <laughs> which is why I'm wearing my Canadian t-shirt. Alright, okay, so three quarters then. <laughs> yeah, we're three-thirds Canadian. We're joined by Celia. Hello, Celia. Hi. Hi, everybody. Nice to have you with us. Celia was with us when we talked about First Reformed. Yeah. yeah. Which was all right. And today, Celia was with us because she really, really wanted to talk about Promising Young Woman. Yes. yes. Which is the last of the uh, Best Picture nominated films that we're seeing. So, Promising Young Woman is a film that's easy to spoil. So I won't say too much because actually the developments in the plot, the revelations as to what's happening and who's, what, what people's motivations are and all that kind of thing. We're spoiling. Those things are easy <laughs> to spoil, right? So you've probably heard about it as the film where uh, Kerry Mulligan plays a girl who picks up guys in bars for some form of getting revenge on them for being uh, date rapists, basically. And that's certainly partially true, but there's a lot more to it than that. So we are going to spoil everything from now. You've had your spoiler warning. Celia, what was your interest in this film? Why did you want to talk about it so much? It, it really um, grabbed me at first, uh, particularly like the trailer for it, because um, I thought... Wow, you know, this is like the kind of movie that Qu- Quentin Tarantino really should be making. Like, if he was intelligent and also not a misogynist, you would get this, and it would actually be like really satisfying and and um, sort of soul feeding for for his women viewers if he made that kind of a film. So I don't know. Um, Did that pan out for you? Yeah, yeah, I I really enjoyed it a lot. I think as well. Um, the other thing about it that I kind of instantly felt a connection to um even before watching it but from seeing the trailer I was like thinking oh he- here are women who are getting revenge and and doing sort of um horrific violence and that kind of thing but in a way that's recognizable to me as a woman so it's not like the wonder woman thing of oh here's a big hairy man and I'm going to just kick his ass <laughs> it's like oh I I have this Byzantine, like, mental game planned, and at the end, it's going to be just, like, total annihilation, and I won't have actually beat anybody up, and um, Mm. it's... Yeah, that surprised me. I think I assumed that she would murder people. Yeah. That was just the impression I had from, I don't know, the press or the trailers or something, and she doesn't, right? She uses craft and cunning, but she makes points to people and then doesn't hurt them, which Mm -hmm. I thought was interesting. Yeah. How did you find it, Jose? I mean, to be honest, I found the film excruciating. Uh, and I'm really glad, you know, that you're here to talk it over with us because, you know, I think uh, everything I could say could be taken as really misogynist. And, you know, I hope it's not because I can really see where the film is coming from. And I think it's really, you know, it's, an, it's kind of an important um, theme to make a film on. And it's important that a woman make this film. So all of those things are fine, but it felt to me so much like a thesis. You know, you could see all the arguments coming, right? And and they came, right? And I thought every, you know, it was really like, a, I thought, a message film through and through with some, some elements that I liked. Like, I liked the girliness of it and the use of color, right? It often had like a lot of pink and mauve and, yeah. you know, and it did kind of, I suppose you know, cutesy things of the decor. And, you know, I thought I, I really liked that. I love the use of the music, you know, throughout. I love the Paris Hilton yeah. bit, <laughs> you know. But I thought it was almost like every scene in the film was an illustration of a Me Too 
point. Yeah. Mm. I don't disagree, but I do think that um so we have these like other films that do do that and they do it maybe in a way that's less um successful or less um less true, I guess. Um so like I know people always make this point about oh well, Michael Moore, he's not making a straight up documentary. He's got a point to make and and it's like well, well, yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think it didn't really bother me as much. But Michael Moore is a documentarian, though, you know, I mean. Yeah, um, but I think, like, I, I don't think that a thesis film bothers me necessarily so much, um, just because, like, I think it's really quite rare to see a woman on screen who you re- recognize, where you're like, yeah, yeah, I get this. I get I get this, um, this point of view, this response to incident something that's happened to you this plan that's been put into place um and just the way that it works uh mm. i think that um o- oftentimes what you end up seeing particularly in like an action film or in a rip of revenge film or something like that is a dude who's dressed up in a woman's skin kind of so <laughs> like to see to see something where it's like oh yeah like, yeah like i totally get that i would do that too makes sense i think i might fall sort of somewhere between the two of you because i did see it as a series of arguments but i think it it managed to do things with them that were kind of cinematically effective if you like um so the one that was really really key to me was when she's speaking to the dean of the medical school that she used to go to where this rape happened this gang rape and she's getting revenge for it and she goes to see the dean and you see her pick up her daughter as you subsequently find out and she says, your daughter's, I've dropped her off three hours ago with a bunch of guys in the same room. And, you know, so the, the argument is you excuse this behaviour, boys will be boys, until it happens to your daughter. And and the conversation is written as I've seen this conversation on Twitter, you know, like I've seen the series of arguments. I've seen the discourse line for line. And I thought, God, what are they doing with it? And then what happened was, like I say, it turned into this dramatic moment where she turns it onto the dean. Right, she turns it into the revenge, and actually, what the ultimate thing is that you know, I wouldn't do that. I haven't hurt her. I've just dropped her off in a restaurant. You can go and pick her up. But I, I think like that's maybe not necessarily the point of that, right? Like, so they're saying, oh well, we have to give these boys the benefit of the doubt. Fine young men, we don't want to ruin their futures based on hearsay, blah 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 blah. And then when it comes down to it, she's not saying, oh, I've I've put her, I've set her up to be assaulted in this situation, but. Um, the woman is panicking because she's not thinking the best of this room full of frat guys, right? She's thinking, oh, no, the only outcome of this is bad. Yes. Yeah. So, in fact, <laughs> we have to give them the benefit of the doubt, except that... Except that's my know, daughter. Right? Like, huh? Yeah. But also, like, we can't do that. Like, we know already what's going to happen. Like, why are we according this courtesy to people who have proven by their behavior that there there is no doubt, anymore really you know what i mean like i think to me it was much more about that like there is no doubt so why are we affording people the benefit of it you're right that's where the power of that scene is so because i I kind of slightly muddle it because the discussion that like i say to me read like a twitter debate happened before the reveal of i've set Mm. up your girl to be raped by these six guys it's the discussion before that that i found uh kind of pretty pretty stale right and like and and undramatic like it was just, as you say, kind of rehearsing these 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 discourses, these lines that we've heard before. And then when it's turned into, okay, well, same thing's going to happen to your daughter. Do you have the benefit of the doubt? Now, do you know, when she does that, that is what reveals that this woman knows exactly what she was ignoring the whole time. 
and so on. And then everyone actually knows what they're ignoring the whole well, time when it's turned on to them. That's what I liked about that scene because it, it, it made this dramatic moment out of it. It made this dramatic point out of it. I, if I can interject a little bit, because, I mean, I, you know, I agree with both of you. And I actually, I think that the scene does more than that. I still think it's not very good and that it is by the numbers, but it's uh, it's a bit more complex, I think, than you're giving it credit. Because I think the Connie Britton character, I think she had genuinely forgotten about this woman before. I think, you know, seeing her daughter in the situation reveals the ideology at work that mm. actually she knows exactly what boys are capable of. She's a woman, right? But she somehow managed in her own mind to ignore it in relation to other women. Right. And this thing about the boys being young and their future. Well, you know, the, the other thing that's going on is, well, here are these women, these young women who had their future ruined and who nobody gave a fuck about their future. Right. So there is kind of. I think the film kind of really hits that home towards the end where she's like, oh, you know, it's two women. I mean, you're a doctor now, but it's two women who um, aren't doctors. Yes. Who mm. are really good, who are better than you. Yes. So, you know what we've lost. And I think that that I don't know that that's been as central to the discussion of me too, as maybe some of the other things about it. But I, that to me is, is just the sort of the biggest part of it. Right. Where you think, wow, like all these people who haven't done stuff, haven't made films, haven't progressed in the sciences, don't have tenure track jobs in academia. Don't this, don't that, whatever. And you just think like, what a colossal waste <laughs> like yeah. it's very um frustrating actually to think about that um and so i i like that um mm. when the film comes to sort of climactic scene that is like very central to the the point that's being made um uh, because i think like there's a way in which like a lot of this stuff is very performative and we stand with the women and blah blah blah, blah but we're not gonna help them um you know recoup lost time lost talent loss of opportunity, like any of that stuff, even before we're not even going to um, prosecute the people who have been perpetrators of, of all of these injustices or whatever. Like, it's like, oh, it's too late. It's too late. Oh, it's so terrible and stuff. And you just think like, all of this is just so lost to us, right? Like, so we take all of this time and we have these um, sort of, I guess, the male victims of Me Too. And we say, oh, how can we enjoy their creative output anymore? And blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and this is so terrible. And everybody's hand wringing and bending over backwards to figure out, like, how we can still watch Woody Allen movies and enjoy the stand-up comedy of Louis C.K. and blah, 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 blah. And you think, well, like, what about all of these these women filmmakers and women comedians and women writers and da, 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 and we're ne we're never going to go and look at their work. They, they never even got a chance to make any work, some of them. So I'm glad that even if it may be by the numbers and, and didactic and whatever, that that is a point that is made here quite strongly and that that's the central point. And I think that that's the only you would maybe only get that from a woman making a film um, because mm. she's been probably been through a lot of... Um, you know, challenges that male filmmakers have never. Well, like I said, it's made, you know, for, for at least from that moment with Connie Britton, because I, I thought of it, you know, the film made me think of it. I think um, it's kind of interesting there, um, just in the sense that they're the two um, female, um, I don't want to say participants, but, but people who haven't been allies who are female, because um, she has this like, I'm going to say like hit list of people that she has to settle scores with. Right. And I think there's a really interesting contrast between the people who are um, 
women who have played a part in in this incident in the past uh, and then i'm thinking like specifically of alfred molina who's i guess was the lawyer involved in the the representing the guys and helping them avoid uh, mm-hmm. yeah and and that that incident to me is like really kind of interesting uh, in contrast to the uh, the Connie Britton scene and also the scene with um somebody who was one of her classmates who um kind of tried to turn a blind eye to things that had happened basically by being sort of like one of the boys and passing around the um this video evidence and laughing at it and stuff um and that the vengeance kind of stops at this point of where somebody saying <laughs> I was wrong and I'm sorry. Um, yeah. And it's a real apology, not like a, not like a Twitter apology. Well, that's the main difference. And, and he's the only one who actually apologizes. Yeah. Uh, and so everybody else tries to deny guilt. But I think, I think like that's also like very, uh, feels very true to me that all people are looking for is some kind of acknowledgement of um, <laughs> past wrongdoing. <laughs> You know, like, I don't I don't think people really are like, oh, you know, we should kill everybody mm. who's been involved in something like this or whatever. It's like, let's if we're going to do this, let's um, really do it and let's uncover the past, find out who's. Um, but but Celia, what, I mean, I feel then, like I feel like you're yeah. talking about this all as an argument on me, too, really. And I think, yeah. you know, I'm talking about it as a film making that argument. And you could see, you know, the Connie Britton character, you know, the woman who who witnessed and let it pass, you know, and so on, as real parts in that argument. You could you could see the Connie Britton character as being designed to illustrate the point of females and empo- the complicity of females in power, yeah, who don't want to rock the boat, yeah. right? So, and and to me, that really did feel by the numbers and kind of, you know. But I think I think. I mean, like each of the little vignettes is numbered. Yes. So you know, like I don't, I don't really have a problem with it. I mean, it's almost like maybe something out of Godard, where it's like, okay, here are the points, and we're gonna work through them in these like little. <laughs> but, it's, but it's not an essay. Scenes, I mean, it's so. a film. <laughs> you know, um, and it's actually the things that happen outside of that that are some of the more interesting. So the relationship that she has with Bo Burnham, who's the old school friend who comes back, and this reminds her, you know, or, or well. I suppose she's always been remembering it, but it brings to life all the people that she went to college with because he's still friends with them. Um, And that's when the kind of campaign of vengeance takes form. Um, They go on a date together, and it is a real date, and they develop a real relationship, and that's part of the thing of of finding out that, you know, the drama is that she finds out he was complicit as everyone else was. And on the first date, it's gone really well, and then he accidentally takes her by his apartment. Oh, would you want to come upstairs for a drink? Oh, blah, blah, blah. And she rejects it immediately. She's like, you're the same as all the fucking other people. And when they see each other next, the one thing that I, that I conspicuously noticed was absent was an apology from him. Like, he might be nice, as he puts it. He's very keen to be seen as nice. And he is nice in so many respects. He He's affable. You get along with him. He makes good jokes. It's like, he's kind of... He's, he's not an evil person. But he doesn't. Ever, it doesn't even occur to him to apologise for his behaviour that night, at all. You could easily or equally make the argument that he kind of fits into one of Jose's little um, stock vignettes as well. Like I, I don't know necessarily that there's anything in the film that's occurring outside of that context, mm. um, because he represents like mm. 
all the men who are on the side of women, right? And then it's, you find that that allyship is frequently kind of disappointing if you, like, <laughs> you scratch the surface of it at all, right? So, like, yeah, absolutely. Like, not all men, but yes, also kind of all men. So, but I, I mean, I, I agree with that. I think it does fit into like it's a it's a dramatization of the quote unquote nice guy, mm-hmm. um, yeah, who turns out to be you know not so nice, and he has uh, he's just the same as all the others, but just in a way less honest about it. Um, yeah, but it happens in a more organic way because it's a it's a relationship that travels the length of the film. You have more time invested in it. There's more. There's more character in it. Whereas the things that happen in those four chapters are more restrictive in that sense, and they feel more like like animated sketches almost. I mean, that is a bit harsh. They're better than that. Yeah, I think it has to happen that way uh, as well, though, um, to make the full the full point, the full weight of that point, right? So mm. you have um, people you've known from of long standing, and you trust them, and um, you're very close to them and in love with them, whatever. And um, then, like, when the reveal comes, it's like, oh, my God, <laughs> you too. Like, so I think that's sort of necessary to make the the di- didacticism of that. or the uh, It's, it's like, woven into the didactic framework, I guess, that <laughs> Jose is talking about. But honestly, it doesn't really, it doesn't really bother me. I don't know. It's like, yeah, it's like a, ha- a cartoon for women. Well, I mean, I, you know, and this is why I, like I said, I'm really happy, uh, you know, that you're here with us because my view of it is that it's almost like one cliche after another, you know, and so I did wonder how women would view it differently because there's no question. Well, I think, I mean, so when stuff happens in your life where you're like, this is a sexist situation, wow, and you, that, like, I recall always that being kind of my first feeling about it, like, angry because it's like oh now i'm living like this literal cliche and i'm that's enraging like so i i think there's a way in which portraying all of the circumstances and the situations in a way that's very sort of broad and is not really making any bones about representing these situations in a yeah a very cliched way chimes with your experience of those things i think like because yeah, to me, that is the part that's the most enraging. You're like, well, now I'm living in someone else's terrible soap opera or something, and I, how did my life get to that? You know, like, I, I had no part in this. And and so because of the way that other people conduct themselves, my, suddenly, you know, I'm not the main character in my own life anymore, and it's very, mm. yeah, it's kind of frustrating. <laughs> One of the things that I really liked about the film, as I've sort of suggested, is that, is that she doesn't actually inflict harm upon anyone. There's always this resolution that actually she was taking steps to protect people's safety. She was just putting the frighteners on them, right? So uh, the first few times you see her go to clubs and pick men up and she pretends to be drunk and then reveals that she's not after they've started putting their fingers inside her. And then she starts confronting them with questions, right? Whereas I, I was, like I say, I was expecting something like Prevenge or something where it's this just violent fantasy of, of getting violent revenge. And I like that, like, there actually the fantasy is that you can, <laughs> maybe it's not so great that it's a fantasy, but the fantasy that is enjoyable in the film is that you can win with nous, with brains, and by not going down to their level. Well, what right? kind you of don't winning? Descend... I mean, she dies. She so, does, yeah, she does die, but she, but, no, I agree with that, I mean, she did die, and I didn't, and I didn't like that she died. Um... But the film at least had it set up that she knew she, she she had everything prepared in the event of my death. So 
there's there's this this one part that I think is probably the key part. Um, and it's the moment when she's coming out of one of these um, clubs or whatever with her pickup, and it's um, the guy in the fedora, mm-hmm. who I know as Richard Splett from Veep, so um, anybody who likes Veep will be like, Richard Splett, how dare you? But anyway, um, <laughs> so uh, she's saying to him, you know, like, it's not just me. I'm not the only person out here doing this. Mm. So, you know... You want to take a gamble every time you go out? Like, go ahead, take a gamble. Um, and he's like, oh, my God, why do you have to ruin everything? And you just think the really important thing about that is that that is like women's lived experience. So you can go out um, and you can meet a man or whatever. And you are taking a gamble, <laughs> actually, every time. Because not all men, but there's some. There's some in this city. that da, 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 Is this one of the good ones? Is this one of the bad ones? Um, and so this, the success to me of that form of revenge where she says, you just don't know, you don't know, um, which women are safe to assault and which ones are not is, is that it's like, now you're in our position. So now Mm. feel what we feel, right? Like it's, it's like, um, an exercise in sort of forced empathy. It's so interesting that that's what you're getting out of that scene, because I think that's what you're meant to get. But if you remember the scene, yeah. you know, there's a lot more going on, right? She sees the guy she's really into walk by who's seen her looking like a hooker, you know, g- going out with this black guy, right? <laughs> yeah, so the kind mm-hmm. of, you know, the scene is kind of full of other dynamics that don't quite just, you know, play that way, right? Like, you know, so uh, uh, it's not just about, you know, there are more women like me. It's that more there are more women like me is also, I think, communicated, at least to me, as, a, as an experience of loss for her, right? She's just about to lose the guy she was sure, really into, yeah. you know, from that, those actions. Mm-hmm. So there are things about the film that I just think, to me, don't work or feel wrong. Like, you know, I knew almost halfway through the film that she had to die, right? Like, you know, the conventions of the film are you can't torture people like that, and she is torturing them. Yeah, this revenge thing is a torture on these people, right? And 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 so in life, you can be a guy and do that and get away with it. In a movie, you know, and especially if you're a woman, you've got to pay the price. So I knew she was going to die. The question I, was... I feel like in life, if you're a woman, you have to pay the price as well. I mean, cause it's funny that you would say, oh, well, she's torturing these people, right? Because what has she really done? She's made them think or feel the same kind of things that um, her and her friend Nina have have had to deal with and will ongoing would have had to deal with as they if they oh, come you know, on uh, Celia I mean you know, let's, all right right let's like, let's take moments here right I mean if you pretend to a mother that her daughter is about to be gang raped in a room without a phone but she that, didn't she didn't really do that, right? She no, just but, said, but oh, she made the mother feel guys, that. Which should be fine, right? No, but she made the mother feel that. And also, <laughs> she hired somebody to sleep with her friend and give her the impression, you know, that they'd slept together. I mean, those are quite extreme. No, but it's, it's revealed in the thing. He's just... No, yeah, it was revealed in that that she, he, he asked her to, she asked him to yeah. look after her during the night and not sleep with her. Because the implication was, take her upstairs. Blah, blah. You're not listening to me. The question is not whether he did it or not. We know he didn't do it. Right. Because she says he didn't do it. The point is, she made her believe he had done it. Yeah, for a know, few days. 
for several days. Oh. That to me is torture. Right. But and how you can excuse it, I mean, it's beyond me, really. You know, if you were to do that to anyone in life, it, it would be unforgivable. So what do they deserve? I mean, these are people who have had these people who have had no, no, no comeback on them or anything like that, no punishment for the crime that they participated and witnessed. So what's a few days of mental anguish? What the only crime that the woman committed, as far as I understand, is that she didn't speak up. Yeah, she didn't say anything. Right. She didn't do anything. Right. So um, you know where? No, but she she had. Um you know, the point of view of like, well, you have to expect. You are asking for it. You Well if it's you, true. If this happens, it's like I'm not excusing know. her either. But I, but I think But like, I don't think that's no, a no, justification for, sure, but, for torture. I just think it's funny that you would call that torture because it's it's nothing that Cassie and Nina haven't experienced, right? Like so she's just saying, Feel what I feel And so that's funny that it's like, oh well if somebody is imposing that on someone that suddenly it's torture, you know? Because well, uh, then, no, the, no, the question you know. is that it is torture and two wrongs don't make a right. So, you know, I, I mean, that this woman did not behave properly does not excuse somebody else behaving, you know, in, in a fashion like that. No, for sure. But there's no harm to them, right? So it's just an exercise in forced empathy. Well, like I say, I think that I, <laughs> I, say, I think part of it is that the film conditions you. At least, like I say, this might be just a personal thing, but I, I think part of it is that the film conditions you to expect worse. Like I say, I expected yes. violence. I expected yeah. physical torture. Yes. And that's not what you get. You get this revelation of, no, things are actually okay. I was fucking with you. Yeah. To me, that is implicit, but I think it's part of it. Well, I think that's right, and I think it's an interesting thing about the film because what was that Charlize Theron film where she went around killing everybody, Angel or Blue Angel or I don't know. Oh right, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so I think if it would have been too much like that, it would it would have almost become like a male fantasy, <laughs> right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So I think the tone is difficult. You know, and, and maybe because it's difficult, I feel the film doesn't succeed because it does back out each time. Yeah, it goes out of its way to say, oh, no, I, I really didn't do that. Right. So it kind of it sets up a situation and then kind of, you know, backs out of it by saying, yeah, she's a you know, she's not that kind of person. <laughs> but like I, say, I think that's part of, as you say, OK, let's forget for a moment the fact that she dies and so on. I think that's part of the victory that she has. She does not lower herself to their level. She maintains her it's it's a morality she's decided upon, but it's a moral level that's above actually doing these things, and she's able to maintain that. I I'm again I'm not convinced of that because the scene that Celia mentioned with the Alfred Molina, mm. you know, the hitman is waiting outside, you know, so so it's actually she at that moment decides not to do it because he's apologized, but the guy was outside waiting to do it, so you know she hired him, she paid him. Right, and yeah, what you know, so had, had she not gotten the apology, who knows? So I think this premeditation that she's holding herself to a higher moral standard, I don't see that as a conscious choice or a choice that she debates within herself. I mean, I think that's just the circumstances that were shown. I think that's a definite choice because she would choose to do other things otherwise. But that is an interesting scene because I hadn't considered what that guy but she dies. was there for. She dies mm-hmm. trying to do other things. I know that she dies, but it's the, the thing that I, the thing I least enjoyed about the film was that I think it picks up ideas and drops them quite quickly and it doesn't quite go here. And the one that particularly 
annoyed me was this idea of picking up men and letting them get close to raping her and then revealing that, no, she's wide awake and, and scaring them and so on. Because that's what she's doing before Bo Burnham comes back into her life, before the, the, the campaign of revenge gets going. So obviously you can see a line between what she experienced at medical school and uh, the sort of revenges upon these guys that she's doing now. But as to whether she knows them, she does write their names down in a book, but I got the impression that was after she'd done things. Like, I, I didn't get the impression that she knew those guys before she was picking them up. She was just letting these guys pick her up. And whoever it happened to be, she would do this on. And I found it kind of muddled that this is thematically related, but not in the plot related to the rest of her life. Mm. What was the, the notebook? Because there were some she lettered in red and some in black. And I couldn't understand what was the I think she was just having different pens. I don't, I don't <laughs> think so. You see, I thought the red was like violence or murder or blood and the the other ones were not what do you reckon i'm not too sure either um because i know that like in the the very opening incident of that the opening scene when she's like walking home or whatever in the morning she does seem to have blood on her and it's like is is that blood or is that just ketchup right like yeah (laughs) so i don't know um (laughs) and then there's the later one where you sort of see the whole mechanics of the of the revenge, um, where it's the guy who uh, is writing a novel, who yes. will be well known to a well known archetype to all women everywhere. Um, and <laughs> didn't she also write his name in red? I don't know. So I don't remember. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure either. I'd have to watch it again. I I, I really think like that that's a just. Code to I, it. I don't think there is any significance to the color of the pens beyond it being a kind of parody of like a girl's diary, like with, with different colored pens, except that it's no. a, like a revenge diary. I, I think it has meaning because it only has those two colors. No, there was blue and, as well. There's black and blue and red. Oh, I didn't see. I definitely don't, I don't see the blue. Um, yeah. We can check it, but I just saw the red lines and the black lines. So I think it has some significance, yeah, or it wouldn't be shown. It's as simple as that, really. Well, like I say, so, I think yeah. the significance is yeah. it's a joke. It's a parody of, like I say, I'm feeling in my diary the girl, the boy who liked me today, except that it's there's nothing, the guy who nearly raped me today and I told no, him off. There's nothing about the way that her state of mind is represented to indicate that she has a jokey attitude to any of this. I mean, you know, she's suffering from anger and depression. Well, I don't think it's her making a joke. I think it's a film, the film making a joke. I, I think she does have a sense of humor, to be honest. Well, she um, does. She does. Yeah. Like, based on the nature of the revenge, um, where you think, oh, it's so perfect. And also, like, <laughs> women everywhere are, all, are laughing at your novel kind of thing. Like, it's just, like, it's so perfect that it's witness to the fact that, like, you know, it's like a wicked sense of humor at play. And part of the joke part of her sense of humour is knowing these guys better than they know themselves. So when she reveals that she's not drunk with these guys and they start backpedalling and making excuses and say, you've got to get out of here, she knows all of this all along and she knows what they're, the lies that they even tell themselves and she's just revealing all that. And that is part of why her falling for Bo Burnham and Bo Burnham being revealed to be just another one of these guys is crushing for her because she wasn't ahead of him. She's ahead of everyone else. Yes, but again, I don't know. Yeah. I, I found that all a problem, really. Um, so, I mean, one of the things about the film is none of the guys think they did anything wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, even the guy who actually did the rape is saying, I'm a nice guy. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, which I think is... Well, 
Yeah. I think that, that there's that scene there where um, they're sort of talking it over like, with her dead body <laughs> sitting there. Yes. Um, and it's like it's like very um, good. Well, I mean, it's a very broad and sort of cartoonish depiction of um, how that reasoning occurs. Right. Like, yes. where it's like, oh, but you did nothing wrong. You did. It wasn't your fault. It wasn't your fault. And he's literally sitting there with blood on his hands right and yeah. and and the the way in which um people are able to rationalize um stuff they've done i'm a promising young man and <laughs> i'm going to be a doctor and i'm going to marry a bikini model and all this kind of stuff and therefore this uh, the consequences of this can't derail any of that because i deserve those things and, yes. da, 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 and i think that like i like to see that scene um just because it's it's what you imagine happening um, in the case of like all, all these people defending these indefensible actions to themselves, much as anything, right? Because pe- because I think like a lot of these Me Too men really do believe they're innocent. So <laughs> that thing yeah. occurred to me not so much as a rationalization of what had happened, but a knowing sort of setting the story the way we want it. Because no one else in that room. No, no one else has to know what happened in that room or they can tell the story the way they yeah. want it. So when he's sitting there telling his friend, you did nothing wrong, or if that was a lie, I can't remember exactly what the line was, but, you know, it's along those lines, isn't it? And when he's saying that, it, it's, it's not in the belief that he did nothing wrong at that point. It's in, like, setting up the line that we're going to take for the rest of our lives, mm. that you did nothing wrong mm-hmm. here. And then they will come to believe mm-hmm. that. But at that time, they yeah. know that something fucked up has happened. They just have to get the line right right then. Yes. I mean, I, I thought all of that was, like, so... You know, like cliched and broad, and hammer you in the head with the point. What's wrong with uh, that though? See, I was thinking this. I, I know. I'm sorry to interrupt. I was thinking while I was watching the film. Oh, this is pretty on the nose, and and then I kind of thought, well, what's wrong with being on the nose though? Sometimes, like actually, the the, the yeah. broadness of it. There's a confidence in the broadness. It's like just fucking saying it. I didn't really didn't mind. I did. Um, well, the other thing is, I mean, it's a revenge film, right? So, um. <laughs> A little bit of broadness is probably good in that context. Like, well, all of those things are a problem because if it is a revenge film, then you want a kind of a triumphal ending, whereas actually you end up with a corpse. The revenge happens at the expense of her death, mm. of her life. I thought it was um, quite good, actually, um, just in the sense that like she had all of this stuff planned for afterwards. And so it's like the ultimate revenge in the sense of like everyone tells their lies and they say, um, okay, well, all that's over with. And now we're going to go off and live our lives as the promising young men that we are. And it'll be fine because we all have this accepted thing and the, the one witness can't talk about it. And so everything is fine. Um, and so then as they um, move into that sort of ease with everything, that's when she, when it hits, right? That she has all of this evidence and, and the police are coming and whatever. Mm. And you just think like, yeah, that's good. That's the ultimate revenge. They have that moment of saying, oh, we we got away with it again, but in, oh, we didn't do anything wrong. So it's fine. And nobody's going to talk about it anymore anyway. And they're all going to forget about it. And it's like, no. Mm. See, I, I know what you mean, but I am in agreement with Jose that... I would much have preferred her to live, and that would have been a better revenge. And up until the point where they're burning her body, um, I was thinking mm-hmm. she will be revealed to not be dead at some yes, point, I and she so. will come back. And then when they burn the body, it's like, oh, okay, so I have to give up on that uh, hope. And so the, the, the best yeah. re- revenge you can hope for after that is what she gets. 
But I'm in agreement that if the film had found a way to not kill her, I would have much preferred that and it would have been a stronger revenge. Sure, sure. But then you wouldn't have, like, the action is not finished at that point, right? Like, it's not finished until we get to this point of, oh, everybody forgets about it. Um, the men move on and become doctors and yeah. husbands to bikini models and stuff. And um, everything is fine because it was such a long time ago, right? Well, the thing is what Jose has been saying about it being, you know, a dramatized thesis um, mm. And I've been saying to some extent, it's I think what I think about that ending, right? Like I mean, you've 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 completely beautifully explained the idea of how it allows the characters to move on and forget about it, and it comes back. But it yeah. is at the expense of this character who I would really have preferred to live and succeed, and you know, at the expense of everyone else. Yeah, I yeah. thought. I mean, to me, the most successful thing about the film, or the thing that I liked most, anyway, was. Um, the boy, the 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 almost boyfriend, right? And yeah, the way that he's revealed, because you know, I mean, he was there, but he didn't do anything, presumably. But on the other hand, he is revealed to be part of the boys' club, right? Mm -hmm. And to be so yeah. invested in the boys' club that he's even at the wedding, right? So you know, yeah, I mean, initially he was shocked by the video, right? But not so shocked that he didn't go to the rapist's wedding. So, and I think actually, <laughs> yeah. you know, just his presence in the wedding is something that just reverberates in your mind, right? And I, I prefer those things that reverberate in your mind than, you know, when they hit you in the head. Point one, point two, <laughs> point three, <laughs> point four. But I'm really a good person. Yeah. I hated that. And I found it, like, cringeworthy, actually. <laughs> and I hate to say it about this film because... You know, I think it is important. I did value the point of view, actually. You know, I've always believed that who makes movies matters. Yeah. And this is very clearly a film made by a woman. And you can tell immediately in all kinds of ways. Right. And so I think yeah. in, in that sense, it's, re it's important. Right. And I want to support it. On the other hand, my experience of watching it was like really cringe, cringe, cringe. <laughs> so... <laughs> even though I don't like it, it, I think it does really interesting things with color and tone and music, yeah? That kind of, you know, there, there is something original going on here in those terms, right? There's, um, there's a wonderful shot where she's dressed in pink and it's got kind of like a mauve, um, uh, yeah, uh, a, a, a place where a painting was in the wallpaper, right? Um, I just I just thought all of that was like really interesting and much more successful. I mean, you know, some of my favorite parts of the film were, you know, well, those, you know, that were making a point orally and visually and where things kind of were expressed with, again, that was not the thesis or that, you know, was not solely about the thesis, right? The dancing to the Paris Hilton song in the pharmacy, I thought that was quite charming and also like offbeat, really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I think like especially like with the the Paris um, and then there was some there was Britney Spears was in there as well and yes. stuff. Like there's sort of a narrative to all of the uh, songs as well too, right? Like so it's like women who have been done wrong, women artists, because like I know this year has kind of been the year where we've. Um, reassessed everything that happened to Paris and to Brittany in 2007 or whenever that was. Um, mm. So that like now they're 
yeah. Like, I, I know, so I, I watched her documentary because I have too much time on my hands, I guess. <laughs> um, the, the, Paris, the Paris Hilton one, right? And it was free. Um, and <laughs> I came out of it thinking, you know, like, wow, I was really sort of complicit in this, this thing that's like, you know, I, I was a bad feminist because I was like, oh, I, I hate that woman. Like, she's so frustrating and irritating and setting back the the women's cause by so many years and stuff and then to see her documentary and like recognize wh- wh- the, where all of that came from what the public persona came out of the trauma that birthed the the socialite that we all knew and hated or whatever um yeah it was just a moment where i was like whoa you know i as a good feminist i should probably have realized all of this stuff and and the same with i think the the recent britney spears documentary too right like everyone's thinking all all of a sudden like how did we go so wrong like so Mm. i think um actually uh if you want to talk about stuff that's really um in your face i think the music probably is in that way quite on the nose as well yeah i um i liked the combination of that and also there's a film school nerdiness, yeah? You know, the quotation of Lash Dog. I don't know if you recognize the music, yeah, from Lash Dog. Yeah. Yeah, the, the scene where, you know, the guy's sucking the toes <laughs> in Lash Dog is, you know, the music is then kind of used very interestingly in the film. And the we poster... We had some Rodgers and Hammerstein as well. Yes, from Carousel, I think. Yeah. Um, and also uh, there was Panique, the Julien Duvivier film. You know, the nerdy uh, David Foster Wallace loving guy had a big poster of Panique. And I, then... Yeah, I did. I did kind of think about that. It's like, um, I don't know if you guys know that Twitter. It's like stuff guys in my MFA site or whatever. And <laughs> um, it's a place for women to like anonymously um, <laughs> put their their like gems of mansplaining and stuff like that. But like anytime there's a guy in a movie and he's got like movie posters on his wall and stuff, you're like, yeah, I know that guy. <laughs> I don't know. I, I wondered if that was like a treat for some. I think it probably is. Maybe the fem- maybe for the female critics. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> there was also the quotation of the Robert Mitchum, um, what's the Charles Lawton Yeah, film? Night of the Hunter. Yeah. So I thought all of those things, you know, were kind of quite interesting. So well, it- see, Night, Night of the Hunter is interesting to have in this context, right? Because it's another revenge movie, kind of. Yes. And um, you know, it's like love and hate in a in a locked in a battle and stuff, but it's ended or redeemed or whatever by like Lillian Gish. Yeah. Like really strong woman with a shotgun and that's what ends up, you know, protecting the the next generation and so yes. yeah, it's an interesting choice as well. Yes. Yes. Too bad this film didn't offer. <laughs> <laughs> Such a redemption for future generations. Um, but I, I just observed, you know, that there, there is a kind of a, a very, for me, uh, uh, likable film school geekiness about, you know, some of mm-hmm. those choices, right? And actually pop cultural geekiness in general, which I think is also girly and fits in with a particular tone. And, and, and that is what I like best about the film. Yeah. Um, yeah. So overall, then, Celia, what do you make of Promising Young Woman, and would you recommend it? I very much enjoyed it. Um, and like, I can acknowledge that it does probably have a lot of problems with it. Um, 
but while at the same time thinking like, you know, your basic sort of Quentin Tarantino movie, tons of problems with it, but we don't ever um, kind of hold that against any of them. Um, and yet this was more more um, satisfying in a way because it um, chimed more with like my lived experience. Um, it reminded me of the things that I, I love and respect about other women that I know and interact with regularly. Um, it, it, you know, made me mad. It made me feel like there's so much work that we could do. And like as a call to arms, I thought it was really good. And, and just as like something for the ladies, something to kind of like give us a bit of soul food, soul satisfaction. I thought it was kind of successful on that level as well. Jose? Well, I didn't like it. Uh, I would recommend it, however. I mean, I think the film is not uh, primarily addressed at me. Um, I think it's an interesting voice with an interesting aesthetic that I would like to see work on a film that isn't a, a by-the-numbers message film. And as always, I sit in the middle... Mediocre. Voice of wisdom. <laughs> Everything in moderation. You know, I think it's an incredibly interesting film and a very valuable one. And it's obviously speaking to people. And there are things that I think are slightly incoherent about the ideas that it brings up and sets down. But I think it's it's pretty stylish. And I like the energy that it has. And ultimately, I, I agree with, you know, even though they are sometimes quite dryly put i agree with the thesis sort of on display for the most part and i think they do lead to dramatic moments which i didn't expect and i don't and i didn't expect what i think is the key uh sort of originality the re- the original the key twist in it which is that this isn't murderous revenge there's something slightly different going on and i like that yeah me too i didn't <laughs> I wanted her to stab them all. <laughs> Cut off their cocks. <laughs> <laughs> Turn it into a horror film, but with style. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I think you've seen that. If you've seen things like Prevenge or whatever, you've, you actually have seen that. I mean, uh. I even thought about things like um, the Harley Quinn movie, you know, and some of the style, I think, is is uh, comes from the same ballpark. Of, of that and uh, there was something really interesting actually that I read about the Harley Quinn movie which we never thought of when we were talking about it which is that in Suicide Squad when you first see Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn she's she's dressed for men to look at and in the, her own movie which we did a podcast on she looks like she's dressed herself which is a really interesting yes, way I, of looking at I, her I costumes. thought that was something that was interesting I mean it's another of those films that women responded very differently to than men mm. Uh, and I thought that, you know, they, it was very interesting to read women on the film because they, they did love it in a way that I just, you know, initially couldn't understand, really. And it was interesting talking uh, to you, Celia, before we started the podcast because you were like, men hate this. <laughs> and, you know, more or less what you said has been borne out. Men hate it. I'm not cliche. <laughs> <laughs> so... Right. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Celia. Thanks. Uh, we are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter, and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs>